and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we are talking about regulation of investors from the Reserve Bank. Oh, this has been one that you've been asking me a lot about because there have been new announcements coming out about some changes to how the Reserve Bank is regulated and its purpose. So what's been announced? Now, there is a change coming to the Reserve Bank Act. And what I want you to take away from this podcast, main thing, is that this stuff is complex. There are different people involved with different motivations. And so we're going to unpack a bit of what I mean by that throughout this podcast. But the solutions to housing problems are complex. They're not simple. There's no silver bullet. And we're going to unpack why different players are saying different things. But look, here's the main outcome of what's happening with this regulation. The first is that the Reserve Bank won't be required to increase interest rates in order to control house prices. And we're going to talk about the mechanism that's been put in place so that the Reserve Bank doesn't have to do this. But it will have the power to introduce new regulations. And in fact, it will be part of its policy. It will be part of its mandate to introduce new regulations in order to control house prices so that they're less frothy, if I can use that term. So we'll be talking about this. But Andrew, talk to us about the context of this, because these announcements, they happened about the 24th, 25th of February, but they've been a bit in the making. Yeah, you might remember back when Grant Robinson sent a letter to Adrian Orr saying, Dear Eddie, hey, what's your advice on how to dampen the house prices? What if we just kind of make it your problem instead of ours? And Adrian Orr replied by saying, well, the Monetary Policy Committee already considers house prices. Let me get back to you. And a month later, Adrian has written back to him and said, hey, here's how we can help. You can either give it to the Monetary Policy Committee But you should really make us, as in the Reserve Bank, think about it in terms of how we set financial stability policy. And just to confirm as well the difference between it. So the Monetary Policy Committee, these are the guys that are trying to influence interest rates. And what they're trying to do then is to target inflation over the medium term at about 2% and keep us at the maximum sustainable employment levels. Now, financial stability is where the bank can regulate through other macro prudential tools. So I'm talking LVR restrictions, I'm talking debt to income ratios, other servicing requirements, capital requirements from the bank. So making the banks hold more money so that they aren't as expansionary, they're not lending as much out in the market. So other means other than interest rates. What Adrian Orr was saying was, we don't think you should give it to the Monetary Policy Committee. We don't think we should regulate housing in terms of interest rates. Leave us that tool for something else. But we can do it in terms of our financial stability policy. But let me ask you this, Andrew. Why did Adrian Orr not want it to be part of the Monetary Policy Committee's targets? Well, look, the problem is there's a direct conflict between the two. So the Reserve Bank has a target of inflation. So they want to get inflation between 1% to 3%. So midpoint two over the medium term and to increase employment to a maximum sustainable level. And right now, the Reserve Bank is decreasing interest rates to stimulate the economy, which of course has an upward pressure on house prices because people can borrow more money, they can sustain a higher mortgage. If the Reserve Bank were to increase interest rates and call the house prices, they might not achieve its main target of employment and inflation. So you can't necessarily have your cake and eat it too. So let's talk about what's actually happened. In actual fact, both came in. 
sort of. So what I mean by that is the government has said, well, we'll give some of it to the Monetary Policy Committee, but we'll also give some of it to financial stability like you wanted, Adrian. So the first thing is this, the Monetary Policy Committee, so that body that is trying to influence interest rates still has its core aims. I'm talking inflation, I'm talking maximum sustainable employment. But it now needs to explain how it assessed its actions on how it would impact house prices. So basically what the government said is, well, you've got the freedom to still set interest rates, but we want you to come out and explain the impact on house prices. And do you know what? I love the Reserve Bank. Of course you 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 do. You read anything that the bank writes, and it's just so reasonable. It's like some diligent nerds have written down exactly what they think, no matter what the politics of it, and they just say it and they give both sides and I just love it. And Adrian all came out and said, well, we really welcome that because that gives us the ability to show that we actually already think about these things and we do consider this as part of our monetary policy setting. But then we have the second change, which is a change to the Reserve Bank Act so that the Reserve Bank now must have regard to government policy on housing when it sets its financial stability functions. So the actual wording that is going into the Act is that the Reserve Bank must have regard to, quote, the government's policy is to support more sustainable house prices, including by dampening investor demand for existing housing stock, which would improve affordability for first home buyers. That's the actual wording. So what do I expect to happen? We're going to have some other measures come in from the Reserve Bank to try and stop investors investing in existing housing stock. Whether that's the right thing to do in order to achieve the government's aims or not, that's possibly another question, but the government has really set a target on investors who are buying up existing housing stock and they believe that's going to have an impact of making it easier for first home buyers. What I want to ask you, Andrew, is what's the impact of this regulation? What are we expecting to happen? So we are going to see interest rates staying low for a sustained period of time, which we've been saying on this show for a while. And maybe this now kind of indicates that it's going to be longer than everyone expected because the Monetary Policy Committee is going to ignore any effect on houses per se. So they're not going to increase interest rates. Point 43 in the Reserve Bank's reply from December said, and I quote, if there was trade-offs between house prices consideration and the MPC's economic objectives of stable inflation and sustainable employment, the MPC would be obligated to formulate policy that supports its price stability and employment objectives. So it's great if you're an existing investor. It's great if you've got existing debt on your home loan. What it does mean, though, is more regulation is likely to flow through, particularly for those investing in existing homes. And the interesting thing here, Andrew, I've kind of been thinking about this recently, is that it embeds anybody who's already gone out and bought the houses, it entrenches your position because you've already got the houses. What's going to be regulated is the acquisition of more houses. So if you've already got them and you're an investor, you're going to be feeling fine because you've got the ability to use these low interest rates and rising house prices and rising rents to improve your financial position. It really puts in this line of the haves and have-nots because perhaps it might make it easier for some first-home buyers to get onto the ladder. It's going to make it a lot harder for people to move up even further. So you might be able to get on the ladder, but can you move up it more quickly. But what a lot of you are probably asking about was, well, what sort of regulation are you talking about, Ed? 
So something that's been floated is potentially tightening who can get interest-only loans. Grant Robertson, the finance minister and deputy prime minister, has released in one of his press statements saying, I want to understand the extent to which interest-only mortgages, particularly to speculators, pose risks to financial stability and whether restrictions should apply. I'm going to do some more research about this because they also reference what some states have done in the past in Australia. We'll get some more information on that so we can unpack it on the show. That's potentially going to surprise some investors, Andrew, because quite a few people think it's already hard to get interest-only loans. And certainly it's become harder after the introduction of the Responsible Lending Code. Yeah, actually, I think the biggest impact, Ed, though, is the inability to get an interest-only mortgage for an owner-occupied mortgage. So that is deemed irresponsible lending in the most part there are some exceptions so you can get an interest only sometimes of an owner-occupied mortgage particularly in situations where there might be a bridging component so if you're buying and selling a property and you're going to have to have a bridge loan in between or if it's a construction loan which are all fair reasons to have interest only but if you can't afford the principal payments on a personal mortgage you probably ought not to be having one. And Gillian's also been asking me about debt-to-income ratios, and you've been messaging him, Gillian, and saying, well, Ed, you were previously pretty sceptical about these coming in. Are you still pretty sceptical? And I'd probably say yes and no. I think one thing that the Reserve Bank is always very clear on is that even if they have the ability to use a tool, it does not mean that they're necessarily going to use it. So when they were considering bringing in debt-to-income ratios back in 2017, there was this idea that the Reserve Bank had no immediate plans to use it. This is the same with negative interest rates right now. So the banks are all operationally ready to respond to a negative OCR if it was ever needed. Now, the Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr has come out and said, well, hey, it doesn't mean I'm going to use it, but I want to have what he calls full optionality. They would be able to use all these tools if needed. Now, I am a bit sceptical about debt-to-income ratios being brought in for investors and not homeowners. The whole idea about this is that it affects the most of the market and a lot of the countries that we are basing our debt-to-income ratios potentially on only apply those debt-to-income ratios to homeowners you know, buying for themselves rather than to investors. Generally, investors are exempt. But what I would say as well is that in the consultation paper from 2006, 17, the Reserve Bank was proposing to exempt lending for new constructions, so investors who want to go and buy new properties, we would expect those to be exempt from debt-to-income ratios, but we're going to see how this plays out. So what is the story with debt-to-income ratios? Because this is a bit of a political football, Andrew. Yeah, as Ed just covered before, the key thing from Adrian Orr, he said, yes, give me the ability to use debt-to-income ratios, because he wants another tool in his talker. And actually, just thinking about kind of some of the things that have been floated in the past or put through that haven't necessarily been enforced, there is an effect on the market. So for example, you know, not a directly related example, but I remember back in 2010 when they had the budget announcement from National and they took away depreciation on houses. Just because there was a whole lot of hype then about all the tax changes coming for property investors or the ideas that were floated, it had the desired effect, which was kind of a bit of a calling off in that investor market that the government was looking for without actually having to do anything because it had really no major impact having that occur. Robinson's response was, well, give me some advice because I don't want you to use it for first-time buyers. You can only use it for investors. And Orr said, it's a macro prudential tool. It has to apply to the whole market. There are trade-offs. 
we can apply restrictions, but there is a natural trade-off that is going to hurt people on lower incomes with lower deposits, just as LVR restrictions do. And just so everybody knows, though, Andrew is saying it as if it was a quote. Just so you know, we are simplifying these down to make them easy to understand. One thing here as well that Orr has been saying is like, look, there really are trade-offs. Higher requirements in terms of deposits or lower credit ceilings, higher interest costs for mortgage borrowers. If we try and cool the housing market in this way, all of these factors will disadvantage investors, but they're also going to disadvantage people with lower incomes and lower wealth. People who have got incomes and have got wealth are able to get over these. And Orr made the same point on Wednesday at the press conference. He says, these tools may impact on housing demand at the margin, but they're not a panacea. They're not a cure-all to the types of housing stories that we're reading. In many ways, Orr is trying to talk down what is actually able to be done. I saw an article today, and of course, be aware of what you read in the media, talking about the fact that LVRs have come in have not necessarily immediately cooled the housing market. And some people are saying, well, perhaps the LVRs won't have an enormous impact. And that, again, is because these sorts of tools impact people at the margin. It doesn't affect the whole market. And because of that, if you've got a significant number of investors who are wanting to invest and have the equity to invest, you're not necessarily going to be able to stop them by putting some of these things in place. Now, you might all be thinking, well, isn't it so obvious? Why don't we just build more houses? The government is so stupid. And gosh, I see so many people saying this in Facebook groups and the like. But what I've been trying to bang on about over the last couple of podcasts in the last couple of weeks is that you've got to remember how quickly can supply respond. The supply of houses is inelastic. It takes time for policies that the government bring in to actually get more houses built. And of course, the RMA reform, we just talked about that a couple of episodes ago. That's not going to be complete until the year 2022. And then it's going to take even more time, perhaps another three, four, five years before significant numbers of houses get built even after that if we get that reform right. So it takes time for more houses to be built, not just because of construction, but because we've got to change regulation in order to be able to make that easier. At the same time, Robertson's over here like, yo, the next election is in 2024, January 2024. We're probably going to bring it forward to 2023. So even if RMA reform comes in place by 2022, there's not going to be enough houses being built to impact supply. So it's going to be hard for me to run for re-election if house prices are continuing to skyrocket and people are unhappy with it. It's going to make my election run hard. We've got to be seen to do something right now. So I've got a problem right now. House prices are increasing fast right now. Trying to build a lot of houses isn't going to solve the problem that we have right now. It's going to take some time. So I've got to either give more money to first home buyers to make it easier for them to buy, but that's going to push house prices up further. Or I've got to try and take investors out of the market for existing homes. And that's what they're going for. And I think you do have to give the government a bit of, you've got to understand their position a little bit in that instance, because 12% inflation or 19% inflation year on year is enormous. And that really is a problem. We often talk about on the show that we want to see a moderate amount of inflation over an ongoing period. That, I mean, that's the ideal situation. We would never have thought that we would be this in sync with the Labour Party, but essentially that's exactly what the government's saying as well, Andrew. It's even amazing. When I read some of these policies, I think we primarily encourage investing in new properties. That's very much in tune and in sync with what the government is, is saying. And I never thought that I would be, or that this podcast would in any way support left-leaning policies, but here we are. Well, look, I, um, I guess so it just goes to show how central government is in New Zealand anyway. You know, the reality is, you know, 
know, everyone wants the same thing overall. We want we want a nice community for everyone to live in. It's just the, the ways that we get there that maybe differ a little bit. One last question for you, Andrew. You've been in the market for a long time, longer than I certainly have. So we've seen a frothy market since June last year. How long is the market going to stay hot for if some of this regulation comes in? Is it going to put a lid on it or are we going to see it for a while? How long do these hot markets last for? Definitely things change. So people might change what they invest in. If you are an investor that does renovation projects and recycles your deposit, that might change. But you might also just look for different deals. It will take some of the heat off some parts of the market. But the reality is we're only at the start of perhaps a correction in Christchurch, for example, we're only at the start of some growth in Auckland. We're only at the start of people considering coming back home early. So I think you've got at least a couple of years worth of reasonable growth or, or more than what the long-term average growth is, particularly in some of those stronger areas. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you've got a topic that you'd like Andrew and I to talk about, send us a text. Our number is 5522. It'd be great to hear from you. Whip out your phone, send us a message or just send me an email. My email is ed at opuspartners.co.nz. It'd be great to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.